0: everyone and welcome to another episode of Justin and the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bizar, I'm your host and today I have with me my lovely co-host and beautiful significant other, Deborah Mykes. <laughs> Hello. And today is a particularly special episode, as everyone heard on the Motivational Monday that came out on Memorial Day. I had a good friend from high school and college, my best friend actually, pass away in Iraq uh, being in the Army in 2007. And he was killed in action. So this particular week and this particular episode really touches home for me. In giving back to the military service and all they do for us and for our country uh, here in the united states and across the world all military members that give their lives for what they believe in So that being said uh, i'd like to introduce jason jean from tattered beans in Mannheim, pennsylvania. How are you doing today jason?
1: Hey guys, it's great to be with you. Um, thanks for having me on i'm doing um, i'm above ground so life is good <laughs>
0: Yeah, that uh, I think every day is a a gift for sure. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your story, Jason. And and I know you have all these entrepreneurial journeys and and things you've accomplished. So tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are now. And please take as much time as you want.
1: Well, first, let me start off by saying, you know, I'm um, deeply sorry, you know, about the passing of a dear friend of yours in uh, in Iraq. Um, My journey had started, um, well, I want to say it's going on, going on 20 years, 20 plus years is, is being an entrepreneur. Um, you know, it's, I had started back in high school on one little project, uh, in our business class and we had to make, make something to try to resell. And it just so happened that our football team was really good that year so I had come up with a project to you know, and I'll, I'll date myself. So I'm 47. So back then, the the cars with the hoods, um, you, you had the hood ornaments, you know, on the on the front of the car, and they were bolted there. So I went and got the football helmets, and our football helmets were white. So I went to the distributor and, and got white helmets and put little S's on them and little pinstripes and um, <laughs> sold them i holding them on the front of uh, our cars, and so it was pretty cool. So that was, you know, one of my first entrepreneurial experiences uh, back in as a senior in high school.
2: So did all of the kids at school and their parents and stuff all have these on the hoods of their car?
1: Uh, well, they they did, not I mean I, I can't remember yeah. how many sold. Um, I think a couple hundred bucks. I think it sold like twenty. Twenty or thirty of them, you know. So such
2: a cool little um, idea.
1: Yeah, it, it just it fit the it to fit the time and the period, mm-hmm. you know, of our our football team and and the success that we had, and then it was cool, and you know. So it was, I think it was mostly the football players that you know, bottom or the cheerleaders, people that you know, like our parents. Uh, you know, if you had a pickup truck, you know, that had a um, like maybe the Dodge symbol or something like that on. the hood, you know, you could, um, you know, swap it out. Right.
0: Right. So from there, um, what were, were some of the next things that happened? So your entrepreneurial journey started with football helmets on, uh, trucks.
1: Well, from there, um, I went to college, uh, to Midland Lutheran. Um, I broke my ankle, uh, I was on a football scholarship and decided to come home, uh, and then I went back to, uh, bouncing at the local bar, uh, cause that's what I did. And prior to going and, um, you know, after a couple of situations there, my, you know, my dad had said, listen, you gotta, you gotta do something better with your life. And so, uh, the military, you know, he was in the army. And so he said, I think the military would be a pretty good avenue for you. So, um, you know, being, I wanted to do something different than my dad, so no different. Like he was a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, so I had to be a Cowboys fan. Um,
2: <laughs> I love I love this father son rivalries that go on. It's so great.
1: It's like dad goes left, I'm going to right. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so I went in the Air Force, and it, when I got in, it was was it was pretty much love at first sight because it, I just love the structure. Um, I excelled at it. I was dorm chief, um, which means I was in charge of the 60, you know, guys in my flight. And then I was a red rope, which means I was in charge of the group of what was called tech school. And that's where we, you know, started our journey on security police. And, um, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was just, I, I just loved everything about it. I wanted to be a lifer and got it stationed out in uh, Great Falls, Montana, at Malmstrom Air Force Base, and uh, part of the missile wing, so basically the nuclear missiles, you know, we um, we babysat those. And, uh, you know, from there, um, my time in the military was short, and um, I had a, a debilitating knee injury um, playing football, and uh, they gave me, you know, two options. Either um, I could become a cook, or I could move to admin, but I wasn't able to do security police anymore or take an honorable discharge. So at that point I had taken an honorable discharge and I had just uh, met my wife, uh, out there and she was finishing nursing school. And so I was like, well, I'm going to go back to Pennsylvania, you know, so if you get done, you know, you can come back here and, you know, see about getting a job. And she did. And, um, you know, we'll be celebrating, uh, 25 years, um, here in uh
2: may 7th (laughs) congratulations thank you yeah so i mean i so far i mean i'm just even hearing your story of like the broken leg the um the pivots you had to make from you know your college to your honorable discharge you know it already like has hints of the pivots entrepreneurs have to make so it's you know actually who you are to the core. You just are like, okay, reroute, time to reassess.
1: Absolutely. And how many times, you know, as you guys being entrepreneurs, um, you know, do you have to do that almost on a daily basis? You know, you wake up and, and, uh, you know, you hope your day is going to go one way at the business and someone calls off or, you know, you get an unexpected inspection. Um, Your food vendor is late. They didn't bring something. Um, you're having to run to the store quick because you have customers or, you know, you're getting ready to open your doors. Um, you name it, especially in the restaurant industry, um, comparative to, you know, anything that we do, um, you know, people place orders and we're waiting, you know, uh, maybe we had a glitch in the system and a t-shirt gets ordered and now we have to play customer service and contact them and, and say, listen, this is on back order. We're sorry for the inconvenience on our website and we're going to send you some, you know, swag because of our mistake, we should have picked that up. Um, right. you know, cause that's how, that's how we at least do it. Um, if it's our fault. So yeah, I, you know, in life, um, you know, I was thrown many a challenges, um, been knocked down, you know, lots of times and, you know, had to have, had to pull myself back up and, and one constant, at least for me. And I, I tell entrepreneurs, this is, you know, we're made to be dreamers and, you know, to reach for the sky. And, and I've always been able to do that because, you know, um, my wife's never wanted to work for me. So uh, she's got her her education (laughs) and to to me, you know, I'm, I'm credit short. And, you know, because I got, you know, when I left and uh, the military and went and we had moved back to Pennsylvania, um, you know, I started going back to Penn state and I just, you know, got the entrepreneurial bug and then it was like, well, I'm doing so much better over here financially. I don't want to be a teacher anymore. So, you know, I'm just sitting there with credits, you know, and, and, and my kids even ask, like, Dad, why don't you just go back and get, you know, finished? And I'm just like, why? You know, But that's just my personal opinion. Right. Um, well, you know, I, ever... I mean, I think
2: you're making a really valid point. I mean, in today's world, I feel like there's such a push to push everyone into college. And I, college is great, don't get me wrong. But it's not necessarily for everyone and people like yourselves. Are, you're finding success elsewhere and even without the college degree. And so you know, you, I think you, that's really valid. Not college isn't necessarily for everyone, and you're a prime example of that.
1: I agree. I, I, uh, when I mentor, uh, um, entrepreneurs starting out, that's the first thing I tell them, you know, they, um, because for so many years, um, you know, we've been told, like, you know, you got to go to college, you got to go to co- college, you got to go to college. And, um, and even with my own two children, you know, that was something that. Um, you know, I said, unless you're going to come out and you're going to start your own business or what's your dream going to be, or what do you want to do in life? You know, you go to school. If you don't want to do a trade, um, then you need to, you know, you need to go to college and have at least that behind you. And, um, you know, so that was important for us. And, but like my oldest daughter, you know, she just gave birth to uh, her, her first son. And so I'm a pop pop, which is pretty awesome. uh. <laughs> But, uh, you know, so, you know, we told her, like, she's like, you know, I, you know, I'm pregnant and, you know, I got my college degree. And we're like, listen, it's always going to be there, you know. So when you get to a certain time in your life that you want to go back and and get into the career field, like you have it there. So, you know, don't look at it, you know, as if it's something that's wasted or anything like that. So that was uh, a learning experience to go through.
2: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, college, you look at it and you look at, I don't know. I mean, when you're going and you know what you want to do, you want to go to med school, you want to, you know, then yeah, of course, 100%. But in today's world, there's a lot of things. I mean, knowledge is available at the touch of your phone. You know, it's literally at your fingertips and there's lots of ways to get that knowledge. And so anyway, yeah. Interesting. And so, so then you're a couple credits short of a degree, but then, so what was the, what was the success you were having in, in entrepreneur? Like, what was the business that you were doing in Pennsylvania?
1: So my, my, one of the first businesses was construction. So I had, I had, um, I was doing some personal training and then I was, then from there I went and I was doing some handcrafted furniture at a, a factory and so um, we had our first daughter and she had some health problems. And so um, I, I needed a lot of time off to take care of that. And so I, I had you know, uh, relieved myself from that, that job. And I, once we got her back, I just looked at my wife and I said, listen, I, I, I want to start my own business. And, and I always had a construction background. And I said, you know, I'm, I want to start a construction company, heavy equipment company. I said, so I want to get a dump truck and and a a trailer and a backhoe. And so she's like, have you done any of that? And I said, (laughs) yeah, I said, driving the dump truck. You know, I said, that's something I'm going to have to teach myself. And at the time I was playing softball for a logging company and I went to them and said, hey, can you guys teach me how to drive one of your tractor trailers? (laughs) And they're like, no. And I'm <laughs> no. like, what do you do? <laughs> They're like, Jake, like these rear ends and these transmissions are extremely expensive. Like you don't know how to drive it or anything, you know? And, yeah, they don't want you grinding so, away
2: on their gears.
1: <laughs> so I was like, uh, oh, that's a bummer. So um, after some research, we found um, a place in Pennsylvania that I could get my uh, CDL at that used old state trucks and they were automatic, So I was like, perfect. So I was able to get my CDL. And then from there, um, I had to do more research to find out that um, Volvo had made a dump truck in 1988 that was air assisted. So basically when you drove it, it shifted like a car. Um, You didn't have to double clutch or anything. So I was like, this is perfect. So my wife and I drive all the way up to Erie, PA. And I go to the truck dealership and the salesman comes out. And I said, I want to drive this truck, you know, test it out. And he throws me the keys. And I'm like, you know, at that point, I had to make a decision. I said, oh, no. I said, I'm just the owner. I said, I'll never drive the truck my employees (laughs) will.
2: And the whole time,
1: it was because I'm a very visual person. And I needed to watch him to see how he drove it. So he drove us, you know, around the city. And I'm just staring at his feet and his hands and what his hands are doing and this and that, and it, you know, things like that my brain just click. So, you know, we went back, I got, uh, we got a small SBA loan and, um, drove, you know, we drove back up to Erie and drove four hours back home and, you know, and the next day I was hauling stone for a company and, and, uh, you know, off the business went,
2: So did you already have some contacts and stuff in terms of like hauling stone or doing things like that that gave you the idea to start the business or, I mean, why that? It was a thing you didn't know how to do. You know, a lot of times Um, you hear people talk about starting businesses, but it's in their wheelhouse. They have a passion for a grandmother's recipe, you know, a skill set that they have. They've gone to culinary school, whatnot. So why that?
1: For sure. Um, Well, like I said, I had grown up around the construction industry and um, this is going to sound somewhat immature, but um, I always loved heavy equipment. And so (laughs) I had the ability to do something. I wanted to do something that I knew I was going to enjoy every day. And I have to say, even with my successes and all the businesses I own now, if there was something that I could do every single day, it would be run a backhoe or an excavator or, you know, a front end loader or drive truck or is it just is to me, it's just so fun. I like had yeah. never.
2: I'm never, laughing. Never. Go ahead, Justin.
0: Uh, yeah, no, I'm the same way. I love. I grew up on a farm, so we always had the farm equipment and the front end loader and and when I wasn't able to do anything else on the farm, I was using the tractor and the front end loader and the backhoe to do crazy things like build dams in the stream or dig holes to build, you know, ATV tracks and you know whatever I could get my hands on. So Deborah's laughing because I'm like. <laughs> We're like going to look at tractors today so I can have my toys to play around on our on our on our small farm
1: <laughs> very small <laughs> you get it You get it you know so and I, and I tell entrepreneurs that all the time like listen, do something that you enjoy and um and because there's I think there's two levels two things it is you're either going to work for the business, and in that scenario there. I worked for the business so I wasn't going to get overly large um I was going to have myself and maybe one or two other employees I wasn't going to be sitting in an office I was going to be in a machine each day so there I was going to work for the business right and then I think the other side is the business works for you so I think there there's a gray area and this is, um, I'll tell you a quick story then, but this is where I got caught into is, you know, so you either work for the business and you collect a paycheck and you're very happy and, and that's where you're at or the business works for you. And it becomes so big that you are, you know, you're running it. You've got a ton of employees. You've got a ton of things, you know, that's operating multiple locations or multiple pieces of machine, and so now you're collecting a check running the business. You're not in the machine anymore, but you're running all aspects of it. Right. And then you've got gray area and that's where everyone fails at in the entrepreneur world. It's that they want to be over to the right, but they don't have enough to get over there. And so they might go and buy one extra or open one extra, you know, restaurant location or, Maybe in my case, it was, you know, I went and bought a couple more dump trucks and some other machinery. And so you have all this other expense in the middle, but you're not big enough to be able to, to have so many locations to help one of the locations that aren't doing as well. And then all of a sudden that starts to crumble. And, um, you know, so that's where I think so many small entrepreneurs, and I think that's because, uh. You know, now with technology and just being so impatient and Instagram and seeing people, we think that you're going to get the Lamborghini in the first year of business. (laughs) Well, you hope you get it maybe in the first 10. Um, But unfortunately, that's not the case. And same with, you know, your growth as a business is, you know, people expect that business to be doing a million dollars you know within the first year well you hope to maybe do a, a million in the first 10 you know whatever maybe depending on what your business is but um so we've we get into this rut of trying to grow too fast and then we get stuck in the gray area because what ends up happening is you, you don't have enough capital usually and so you go off and you, you have this very successful business and then You think, well, it's doing this one is so awesome. I'm going to go start another one. But what ends up happening is it takes the capital from the first one in some cases and your time. And so now the first one starts to falter a little bit and have a little bit of growing pains. And now you're focused over here on the right one. And so you're ultimately set yourself up for, you know, in in a lot of cases, not always, um, a huge failure.
2: Appreciate the way that you have described how you have described this whole transition of you know you're either working for the business or the business is working for you, um, and then the gray area. I think that really illustrates. You know, I, I, you've even put it in words for me, and I've been in business for a long time. And I just think you put that in such a clear way, it kind of made a lot of things click in my own head. And that gray area, I think, is probably where probably the vast majority of businesses actually fail, you know, because they they fall into that zone. And you're right, the capital is kind of the thing. To take that leap, it's almost bigger than getting the company started in the first place from going from the mom and pop size to like, you know, much bigger because you have a whole nother layer of management. You have a whole, you know, there's all expenses, a whole nother layer without it really having the profit margin that you need it to have until you have even more than that. So that's really, I love the way you just phrased all of that okay so, so get us back on track here so we so you now have this business and where you have your heavy equipment and whatnot, and you're doing that, and so why did you transition out of that, or what happened next?
1: um why well, had a a billion dollar company help me with that um, so um, I don't again, so this is this is where the college education portion comes into it and and I don't think in any of my failures um a college educate a business college education would have helped me in any way probably what would have helped me is having uh mentors that maybe I could have circled myself around that would have had losses or um could have educated me on uh you know maybe some future business decisions so in my first scenario i had a friend who had a very large construction company um they did 100 million a year um he said hey i winter was coming and i was saying something about you know oh you know works a little slow and that and so this guy's you know his at that point his business had been in business from his his dad started so i think about 40 years at that time and he said hey well why don't you go do your banks, do you have skips in your loans? And I said, no, what are those? And he explained to me, he's like, oh, well, generally what happens is that you only make payments seven months of the year. And then through the winter months, you don't make any payments because a lot of times, you know, no, none of us are working. And I said, oh, well, I didn't know that. I said, well, let me contact, you know, the, the my lending institutions. So I contacted the three local banks and they said, oh, absolutely. Yeah, we'll modify your loans and that's no problem. And then I had my heavy equipment, uh, loans through a certain, uh, company, um, whose equipment, um, is a certain yellow. And, um, I had contacted them and said, Hey, gave them the same scenario. Like I was just informed of this from a friend. Like, do you guys modify the loans and, and the snatch? And at that point, you know, we hadn't missed any payments or anything. And I, and she said, well, are you not going to be able to make your loan? And I said, well, no, I didn't say that. I said, I'm, I'm just calling to see if you guys offer this. And she says, well, it sounds to me like you're not going to be able to make your loans. So after we you know went back and forth <laughs> from that for a few minutes, she informed me that, no, we don't modify the loans. That's something that we would have had to have asked starting a loan. I said, okay, no problem. So a week later, I got a letter from that company that um, it was a repossession letter. And it was calling my loans for all the equipment. So we called them back and said, hey, like, I've never missed any of my payments. I don't understand this. And they said, well, you had called in asking to modify the loan. And, you know, uh, part of your terms of service is that, you know, we can call this and we're concerned that you're not going to be able to make your payments through this winter. And I said, but I'm not late on any of my payments. So it wasn't an option. You know, they had already started the ball rolling. So I had to go hire an attorney and um they wouldn't work with us or anything like that so the attorney said listen you're going to have to declare bankruptcy to stop this proceedings and um she had to educate us on that uh, my wife and i and so um we got to um we got to the proceedings and uh they were the only um because when, when that happens like your attorney has to contact everybody you know with all your loans so um all the other banks um, were like, yeah, we're, we're going to work with you. I'm like, you're fine. And because we hadn't missed any payments or anything. And at that time, that attorney showed up to our court hearing and demanded to get the equipment back. And, and oh at that point, the judge, the judge had scolded them because um, we didn't have any debt. We didn't have any back payments or anything like that. And they're just wondering why I'm even there. So it was a quick learning process that, from that standpoint, you know, I was so small that I was going up against Goliath, Mm -hmm. and there was absolutely nothing I could do. It didn't matter. It didn't matter if I was in the right, Um, it didn't matter that I had made my payments on time. It was they took it, and they were so big that it it's just an automated system. If this if a happens they're going to do b and it doesn't it didn't matter, you know, uh, any situation or scenario we gave them. They were going to keep going with what they felt that they just automatically do.
2: So and did so, they end up calling the loan?
1: Experience. They took the What's equipment.
2: That? So there. they did they end up taking the equipment and call or taking or calling the loan or what ended what was the verdict?
1: So what ended up happening was we continued to run the company for almost two years Um, and because, again, the situation puts everything in a stay. And so we were able to continue to operate and make our payments and they weren't able to do anything at it until I decided I wanted to uh, be done with it. And when I wanted to be done with it, we were growing into more commercial construction. So at that point, a friend, uh, that same friend who had given me the advice (laughs) to get uh, uh, um, to get the skips, uh, he was over at my uh, at my uh, office and he pulled into the, the into our parking lot. And like I had, you know, some of the equipment sitting there. And and again, so there's probably 20, 25 years between us. Right. And he looked at, he said, Hey, he goes, so how about this piece of machinery? And I said, Oh, well that, you know, the guy runs that sick. And I said, he goes, what about this one? And, and I gave him, you know, the excuse of that one. And he said, what about that dump truck? And I said, well, I, you know, that guy, you know, he, he had to get home earlier or something. And, and he looked me dead in the eye and he said, well, just so you know, he goes, when that iron ain't moving, it ain't making you no money. <laughs> and he goes, well, if you can't, he goes, if you can't keep that stuff on on the road or, or in the dirt, you know, every single day, he goes, you have to really evaluate, you know, your business. And he explained to me that, you know, his dad had owned a bunch of iron also, and they had gotten rid of everything because, you know, the payments are very hefty on that stuff and they didn't have it running all the time. So they learned it was cheaper to subcontract out to, you know, a heavy equipment company and let them, you know, worry about the bills and stuff. Right. Their equipment sitting. And and from a financial standpoint, they had grown exponentially because of that. So then I took his advice. And at that point, then we, you know, got rid of all the equipment and just moved into uh, construction and heavy equipment. And um, from there, I was able to, uh, you know, do some really cool projects, you know, do some hotels, and um, I started my own housing developments. Um, My kids have streets named after them. (laughs) That's fun. And that was exciting. And so from there, um,
0: so you do the construction and all that. How did you get to to where you are today? I mean, are you still in construction? Uh,
1: So I had um, a very bad uh, life-changing accident. Um, I had fallen 22 feet, um, broke myself in half, uh, had a spinal cord injury, um, shouldn't be walking, let alone be here. And that was sort of my aha moment uh, in life that um i was spending i was my goal was to be a millionaire by the time i was 30 and i had made that about four months into my 30th birthday and but in order to do that and to put the amount of zeros behind my name that i had set a goal at it had caused me to basically kiss my kid's head uh leaving in the morning at 4 and 5 a.m. and not getting back home until 9, 10 and kissing them on their head again while they were sleeping. So after doing that for many years and getting another chance at life, um, I had decided that the construction needed to be put to bed and, you know, focus on some other things that would allow me to uh, spend more time, you know, with the family
2: that's actually really, I mean, I'm, it's horrible that you had that accident, but it's really cool. The impact that it made on you and your willingness to take those steps because you know, when you're sitting there wanting success and you've worked so hard for it and you're finally having it to just kind of pull the plug on it, that's pretty amazing. But it just goes to show you that, you know, the value in life is not the zeros behind your name or, you know, that number you want, but it's also the relationships and the time with the people you love. So, that's super cool, and so you so you pulled the plug and then moved on to really another cool. venture or
1: so I had during that um, I was given the opportunity to um, purchase uh, you know some property um i it was uh, the idea was brought to me by another construction a friend who owned another construction company, and the property um, just happened to house um, some, um, entertainment. And so from there, uh, I had went to the, the building owner and said, what's the problem? And she said, well, they're not paying rent. And I went to the, the business and said, what's the problem? And they're like, well, she's not fixing things. So we're not paying rent. And so I had said, well, listen, here's a deal you give me a portion of your business. Um, because obviously if you're not paying her rent, if you and I get in a fight, then you might not pay me. So this way I'll be able to control that. And I said, I'll buy the building for you and keep you guys open. And so, um, I did. And that was November. And so we made, um, so much cash and, uh, and the business was so successful in that 30 days that I had bought, uh, another entertainment, uh, facility. <laughs> And so um, from there, uh, I had decided to take some time off and move to Key West. And so uh, we did. So we up, uprooted and relocated our family. Um, and while I was down there, um, we des- I decided to buy the third entertainment location. And, and um, so that, was, uh, that, w- that allowed me to have a passive income. Um, to be able to, you know, live off of and, and, um, you know, not, because again, my wife never worked in any of my businesses. So wherever we moved or whatever she did, like she just went to the hospital and worked. So, um, that was able to provide, uh, along with her, you know, for our family, uh, for whatever, you know, we wanted or needed.
2: Right. So now you're in Florida, but you you guys now live back in Pennsylvania. So how'd you get back there and end up with your business?
1: Right. So my so my oldest daughter didn't like um, Key. No, don't don't get me wrong. I mean, we love Key West, but it was just a different environment for us. Right. And so she really missed uh, being home uh, up north. And so um, we said to her, like, well, do you want to move to the mainland? Like, we we all, totally understand living. Been on a rock, um, that could be a little different for you know, uh, younger children, but you know, what about moving to you know, Fort Lauderdale or you know, Miami or a different you know, um, at least up in the mainland? And she said, No, I really want to go back home. So at that point, uh, we had moved to Hershey, Pennsylvania, um, and you know, so much because they have a, a large facility there for my wife, and so the kids started off there, and then, um, at that point I wanted to do something completely different. I had invested in other people's restaurants at the time. And, um, I said to my wife, I said, I, I, we had, we would eat at this one facility down this one restaurant down in Fort Lauderdale called uh, cafe Monterano's. And Stevie is just, uh, you know, listen, he, he, he admits that he's, uh, he's not a culinary chef. Um, he's just a badass cook and that's (laughs) what he says. And, and, he admits that and and he, and so i had you know um befriended him you know through the years when we lived in key west and so i when i moved back to pennsylvania i said to my wife i said i'm going to open up an italian restaurant and she's like okay and again she always supported me you know through things and i said this is what i want to do so we had um you know the whole design um done a little bit more progressive for this particular area because I used a I used basically Stevie's um thought process and you know made it almost like a little nightclub um but it was a restaurant and from there um <laughs> I was, I was just telling someone else about this. So I taught myself how to cook everything from scratch. And so.
2: <laughs> I love how you just like, Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You like, don't even know how to do any of it. And you're like, okay, I can relate to That's exactly <laughs> what so happened great. on this
0: podcast. I'm like, I'm going to do this podcast. And, and Debra's like, are you sure? And within two weeks, I built a studio, got the microphones, turned on the soundboard and I'm recording with it and just going right <laughs> at it. So I love this.
1: And, and isn't, doesn't that make you feel that much more cool?
0: Yeah, yeah, way cooler.
2: (laughs) Well, your story is just, I mean, you're only 47, right? Like you think of people and the longevity of their lives, and I'm hearing like the multitude of businesses and successes. And <laughs> and can we just give us take a second to say your wife is a total stud? <laughs> I mean, she's just like, okay, we'll move. Okay, you know, like, oh, you're going to start this company. So, you know, that's really cool. You guys obviously 25 years down the road have a really solid thing, and so that's amazing. But anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just love that <laughs> you keep taking on all these new My- ventures that are really kind of out of your own comfort zone. Yeah, I listen, I would not
1: be here without my wife. Um, and I say that and I thank her all the time. And I will be, listen, I let me you know be brutally honest. There were, in our, our younger years, I held a ton of resentment against her um, because she wasn't a part of the businesses. And I didn't understand until later on that, she didn't want to be a part of it. One, you know, for our sanity, but two, you know, she had her own goals in to be a nurse and she loved what she does. Um, she was in the NICU. She was, um, she's in, um, mother, baby. Um, and so she loves what she does and man, she's good at it. Uh And so if I would have taken that away from her, um, you know, that would have been extremely selfish on my part. And, you know, I'm so glad that she stood her ground in not, you know, letting me bully her into being a part of the businesses and, uh, and stayed steadfast in, in what she wanted to do. Because like I said, it took me years and years to understand her point of view. Extremely
2: be selfish you you both have dreams and goals right and we all only get one life to live and so at the end of the day we want to look back and be like gosh you know i made the most of it and did the things i wanted i think that's cool that you've recognized that too
1: well um yeah i've i've when I, I've gotten older, I've had to uh, excuse the language, but I've had to own my shit.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah it happens. Yeah, that's a... <laughs> it's, a g- it's a good part of life, though. I think that really when we get to the point where we do that is really where life starts to flourish even more. Because, you really? know, our defenses are down and we're just that much more open and, you know, willing yep. to be vulnerable and go there. So I agree.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep. So. You know, so she, (laughs) so when I told her, I said, I want to, I want to do a restaurant. And she's all, like I said, she's always been supportive and she knows that if I'm going to really put my mind to it, it's going to be good. So um, I started making the meatballs and uh, from scratch. And my first batch was so bad that the dogs wouldn't even eat them. (laughs)
2: Uh, It's pretty bad.
1: That's that's (laughs) literally the honest God truth. Like they would not, they, they looked at the meatball and looked up at me and be like, "Listen, we eat a lot of stuff. Seriously, dude." <laughs> I like, felt bad for him. So the one great thing about my family is, man, they are straight shooters. So um, they would definitely uh, not just be yes people. So if I, as I was, you know, hand scratching my noodles or my pierogies. Uh, cause I would do Italian and, um, Polish also. And then my raviolis and my penny lump crab or my lobster franchise, or no matter what I was doing, they would be like, eh, too salty. Eh, don't let you know. And, and until I got their approval, then at that point, then I had true friends where I would know would also give me their honest opinion, come over and we would have them over for dinner. And when, when I knew that it was a, uh, you know, my food was, you know, a hit, um, is when, you know, we, I went out and, and, you know, did the restaurant and we were very successful. Um, but so my second loss in my life, um, you know, I, you know, was, was trailing me up to Pennsylvania. I was going to open up another nightclub, um, down in, uh, Florida on the mainland and unfortunately, uh, an attorney had made a uh, grave error. And it it opened up the door to allow uh, the building owner that I was going to rent this building from to sue us for five years of rent. Oh, my God. And so they received a three quarters of a million dollar um, judgment against us.
2: Uh,
1: and this was rate, this was rate, um Yeah. And this was all because he missed the filing of the paperwork um by 18 hours.
2: Oh my god. You know, and it's so, I know that we sometimes need our attorneys and and uh, but you know, I hear that and I'm just like and they have no liability in that, right?
1: Correct. So the they did sue him also and um because I wasn't uh from Florida and obviously him being an attorney, um he was let off and we um held the whole entire brunt of the situation.
2: Oh my god! that's painful
1: um, yeah, it was because here was a the thing they um they followed us to p a and sued us up here, and so um again, you know you have to declare bankruptcy to to stop the proceedings, and at that point, they went after my wife also, okay. and so that really threw things in a mix because that was the first time. Um, Because, again, she was never part of the businesses, but they, you know, they went after her. And I took that one really personal. And I was really mad. Yeah. But from a business standpoint, I understand why they're doing it. You know, at that point in time, the housing crash was happening. And so that building owner was also um, being taken over by the bank. And so, again, we weren't dealing with just a small average person we're dealing with um a huge billion dollar bank and fighting against that and again you know when you're when you're small you're not going to be able to beat goliath i mean right. at the end of the day they're just going to have more capital and cash than you right um so and that's what happened so we ended up having to shut the restaurant down uh Because it was, you know, they were trying to tie it with with the bankruptcy. So, you know, on the advice of our attorney, you know, we had to shut down a very successful um, situation. And it broke our heart.
2: Oh, I'm sure. All that time and energy and recipe development, and you know, just sad. Yep.
1: So at that point, um, you know, I took four, four or five years off. I was just burnt out. You know, I said, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sick. I was sick of the fight. Um, you know, I just, I was let down by so many other people uh, at times. And, uh, you know, I needed to, you know, I guess man up uh, because I was, I was an entrepreneur and I missed what I was doing, but um, I just, you know, I crawled in a hole and and those are probably you know, again, stuff that I talk to and mentor other young entrepreneurs is I was weak at that point in time. Like I should have dusted myself back off and it got back up. And, and for whatever reason, in that given time that I just didn't have the power. And I, you know, I let myself down.
0: I, and I just want to touch upon something because I can relate a lot to what you just said, because um, I think it was about five years ago. Now, um, my father and I helped, a couple individuals with a gym that was going under and helped paid off their landlord and, and move them off and took a percentage of the business and helped them restructure the business. And ultimately, with the help of an accountant and lawyers, uh, you know, basically embezzled money out for cars and vacation homes and, and all of this stuff in a very short period of time. And next thing you know, we're getting excuse me, letters from the landlord that the rent's not being paid and all this stuff. And they're coming after us and, and the money we had, my father and I, and it was just the most crazy thing that, um, I mean, and it really, that, and and there was a loss of a business beforehand that kind of just crumbled. That was the wrong people running it that I got involved in. And actually that's how I met Deborah. But, It was what happened to me afterwards was just this, I can't believe this happened to me when I was just going through and and being helpful to people and saving people's life that these people would take advantage of it. And it was, (laughs) it was crazy. And, and to what you said you know, you know, you're supposed to dust yourself off. And I knew I was supposed to pick myself up and do it, but I just didn't have the drive to go be an entrepreneur or, or do anything other than what I had, you know, for a couple of years, because I was like, how, you know, it was weird, this energy and this motivation that sort of just bankrupted me. And, um, and I can relate to that a lot because at sometimes you take so much getting to an entrepreneur, there's this one point where you're just like, you know, Oh my gosh, I, I need a break and I'm burned out and I need to just look at my life and change some things around. But it's just crazy how those things happen. And cause the audience and you're not alone. I don't think in that because the same thing happened to me. It took me, you know, really changing my life and really going at things a different way and, and rebuilding to get to where I am now. And so I just, I think it's a good story and I want to highlight it because I don't think You're the only one alone. And I actually think a lot of entrepreneurs, at least that I talk to that have had these major bumps in the road where they lose something or lose their companies get there, you know, because everyone in, in society says, dust yourself off, pick yourself up. That's what we're supposed to do. But I think sometimes we hit a part in our lives where we're just like, man, that was awful. I can't believe that happened, you know, and you know we feel bad, yeah. and your wife getting dragged in, and the people that got dragged in in my life, it was just like, okay, like what did, what just happened here?
2: yeah, you a little bit can have moments of losing faith in humanity you 're like wait i 'm putting all this good stuff out there, and yeah, definitely painful, and I think completely reasonable to have to take some time to rebuild the energy to go after it again because it 's an enormous amount of energy in building any business. And so, you know, to, you know, that at this point at this, in your story, you've had how many businesses, you know, so you know what it's going to take. So I can see how you got to a point where you're like, I don't quite have it in the tank right now. You know, I'm going to need to re- recharge for a while. Yeah,
0: And one of the craziest parts about it is, you know, is that the fact that for three years after the business was done, we were still paying for all the gym equipment and the, the financing on yep. it, even though the yep. individuals that, you know, scammed us out of it, stole all the equipment and moved it all out of the gym overnight and we're not in possession of it. And it was just the craziest yep. cycle of life and just like, how is this happening and why am I paying for something that's out of my possession that someone stole? And, you know, trying to deal with the lawyers to get them to do anything was just one of the most frustrating things I've ever been through in my life. I'm like, wait, I'm in the right here. I didn't do anything wrong. Here's the paper trail. Here's my father's paper trail. Here's what we've done. Here's the books they showed us. Here's the real books that we got from a forensic accounting analysis on where the money actually went. Like, why are we not doing anything, you know? And it was just like so hard. And at the meantime, we have this Goliath of a company, and and the the lease that we leased the building from for the gym in the first place coming after us and and trying to sue us and get us to pay the money because we were the ones that actually had money in our pockets. And so it's just... It was crazy. It's one of the craziest things I, I've ever been through. And I didn't realize until you just talked about it how actually stressful that was to me and how it actually shut me down for a few years just in, in, in trying to deal with something so difficult. And actually, I couldn't make any sense out of it. It was the biggest problem. You know, it took me forever to yeah. just be like... You know, some people are just unhealthy and do unhealthy things and, and cause problems. And that's just the way life is. It took me, you know, really two years to get to that point to just accept it for what it was.
1: And that's so, so true. And, and what we've all just talked about and what I've heard from you is that we're small. Like you were small peanuts to that big company. And I just never understood why run someone into the dirt. I just don't get it. But they are so big and so automated that that's just what they do. And they don't care. There's no compassion. There's uh, nothing. There's no feelings whatsoever. And they pay huge law firms big bucks. And at the end of the day, they don't get anything. in in most cases but they just ruin lives yeah and i just don't understand that it just baffles me
0: well and i've had the the just and i know we're going off on a tangent um but it's like in the things i've started businesses and been involved in businesses and trying to grow something and then you get cease and desist letters from from people that you're actually helping or, or doing something for and you're like wait a second, like why all of a sudden are you turning on me when things are going well And, and business partners and things like that and so I love this story because you've kept going number one and just like Deborah and I have through all of it, all of our ups and downs and hardships as being entrepreneurs but the part that I, I think that's so important is that it's so out of our control, so much of it, that we just, as ent- entrepreneurs, we have to become masters of pivoting. We have to become masters of, you know, falling down. And we do this on a Motivational Monday. it's talk about a Rocky Balboa quote where nothing hits as hard as life. But that doesn't yep. matter. It's how many times can you pick yourself back up? You know, so yep. if you're knocked down seven times, you've got to make sure you get up eight. You know, yep. so it's, um, it's one of those crazy things and I didn't mean to go into my personal story, but I just could relate and like, I feel it in my chest uh, uh, the emotion from all of it just by you talking about it. So, um,
1: well, no, it makes, it makes things relatable. Um, as Deborah said, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that go through that. And in some cases it's so debilitating that they quit and that's not an entrepreneur, You know, like you and I, we had taken time off, but we were able to rebuild our energy. And, you know, that was a time we just needed to be plugged in. Like we just needed to be plugged in, get re-energized and reinvent ourselves and and keep going. Uh, Because you're going to have losses. You're going to have people that are going to sue you. You're going to have things that are going to happen. And... you know, in that scenario, you just have to keep rolling with the punches. And, you know, we ended up having. So when I had closed that down and taken some time off, um, I went to my partner after I sort of regenerized and said, listen, you know, let's get back in the food. Um, and he had a property and we said, let's build it out and, and get into the cafe. you know, Let's do a, a smoothie cafe. So we'll do scratch food. And we will do smoothies that are all fruit and vegetables, no preservatives, anything like that, all scratch. And uh, we were hugely successful. And that's where we started giving back to homeless vets. And we had a little um, pay it forward program called From Me to You where somebody could purchase either a half a smoothie and we would give a homeless person a half a sandwich or they could purchase half a sandwich and we would give the other half of the smoothie. And so, and we allowed them to eat in a restaurant and which made them feel like, you know, they weren't, um, you know, shunned or anything like that. And then we would talk to the customers. If, if somebody was eating in the restaurant, you know, we would tell them about the, the me to you program for me to you program. And then upon leaving, they would buy a ticket, you know, and it, it just, it kept just, we had a walls full of these tickets. And That's so, awesome. like, you know, well, thank you. Being an entrepreneur, I've always, again, you know, been a dreamer, you know, so we knew that we had a good product. And, um, from that standpoint, we went to another attorney and, um, said, Hey, here's a business concept I have. Every restaurant is fighting for customers. So we want to obviously grow and have multiple locations. Here's the business idea could we allow people to invest in the restaurant and um, have two stages of investments? The first stage would be for more savvy investors that could uh, come in early and we would match what they, they, they put in with a maximum of 20,000. They couldn't go over that. And then once construction gets done, we would go to our stage two investors, um, which that would be a maximum and minimum of a thousand dollar investment. So this way we could go. And the objective of that is you had to live within 10 miles of the restaurant in order to be able to do that. <laughs> and the concept behind that was, is if this person had investment in our cafe and let's say um, they have a soccer uh, banquet that they have to cater. are they gonna go to Chipotle or subway or Panera or are they going to come to the restaurant that they have thousand dollars invested in?
2: Okay brilliant.
1: <laughs> so um, I had pitched that to our attorney and said, is there anything legally you know um, that we have to do I did my research online um, and she said no they're members of the LLC you know you would have an LLC for each location. And I said okay. So we go and we have this huge article written about us in um a business in a business journal about the whole concept. And I think that was on a Wednesday and by that following Monday we were getting a really nice letter by the securities and exchange from Pennsylvania. Why? We were like
2: is there uh, something wrong with the concept?
1: You're selling securities. And and there's a whole thing on selling securities on who's allowed to invest in a business and and they have to make, make over 250,000 yeah. a year uh, if they're single yeah. for X amount of years or 350 is a couple or have a million dollars liquid assets, not counting your main uh, or a million dollars in, in assets, not counting your main residence. So who we were going after was your average blue collar, you know, or white collar person that lives within 10 miles. And unfortunately, um, we weren't registered, uh, and had any exemptions with the securities and exchange, which was, um, one issue. And then let alone the people that were investing weren't accredited investors. So, um, And that's the same loophole, like angel
0: investors and all those funds and private equity funds have to jump through to invest in businesses, which I find so interesting because you're basically only allowing the wealthy to come to the table to make money, and it's a very and I've been through that same cycle uh, in my past, and it's just the craziest thing to me. And I just the just so the audience knows, it's just so nuts that we would do that as a as a society and keep people from being able to invest in businesses. But I guess it keeps yep. from scams and stuff like that, which is unfortunate. But again, it's uh, just crazy.
1: That's I, I. That's what they say. But listen, how many freaking white collar people have you known that have gotten scammed and businesses shut down? Like, listen, at, at the end of the day, and this is where I find it's rude is that they're saying, and it says right there in the in the paperwork that you know the. They're considering people that make that much money more savvy than the other people from an investment standpoint. I, and my point, <laughs> my point to that comment is that then instead of not allowing the um, the average person to invest, set guidelines to a business to say if this person only makes up to 35, five thousand a year they can only invest five hundred dollars if this person makes up to a hundred thousand a year they can maybe invest a thousand dollars I mean do something that way but like like I like Deborah had said yeah it was a great business concept man we literally when we got the okay we went gangbusters we opened two more locations and we were right in the middle of the demo on the third one when we got that letter and it was just cut our legs off right at our knees right then and there And, and, um, we ended up having to close two of the locations down, um, as part, um, it may gave us a huge black eye. We went and spent, you know, a lot of money on, um, getting ourselves out of trouble and, um, and trying to move forward with it the right way. And once you get that issue, like, you know, you, you're walking constantly around with this black eye and you're trying to tell now savvy investors like, oh, hey, we got in trouble. You know, we got some bad advice from the attorney, but you want to, you know, get into this business. We're very profitable, but we had to shut two locations down. So we basically start from scratch on those two locations again. Um, at that point, you know, people are like, dude, way too much drama. Um, <laughs> come to me, come to me when, with your next adventure, but, you know, too much drama right now. Right, And so from that standpoint, we had kept the one location open for years. And it wasn't until my cancer diagnosis in September that, um, we ended up calling it quits, um, just too much to run, um, and manage. And from that standpoint, that's how tattered beans was launched because that company, uh, that cat. Our cafes had a coffee company associated with it, you know, because coffee cafes right. and um, we were known as Central PA's, you know, coffee fundraiser. So instead of people, you know, if they had a soccer fundraiser or, you know, something like that, instead of selling candy bars, they sold our coffee and we became extremely popular that way because i didn't want to compete with the retail market i mean you know in lancaster alone there's probably you know 15 different gourmet little coffee shops or you know who wrote their own and stuff like that so you know for me it's like you know why work harder work smarter so we went out and said well there's no one doing any fundraising so yeah, let you know let's crush that market and we did yeah so once we i i went to amanda again who Who's my right hand person and said, Listen, I don't want the coffee to go away. Let's reinvent it, but I want to give back to vets. Um, I wanna leave, I wanna leave a legacy, I want to do something awesome, and so let's do this. So we compiled the numbers. Um, we were selling a bag for eight bucks, you know, and I said, What's gourmet coffee selling for or online? And she goes, 12 or more. I said, Let's make ours $12 a bag. And I said, We'll take that four dollars and we'll give it right back to a veteran.
2: So then we had to
1: come up with a concept of how am I going to do that? So then I went to my web programmer and said, listen, here's my idea. I want to give money back directly to veterans. I said, but in order to do that, we have to build a website and those veterans have to have a profile so people can shop under them. And so the veteran technically became the product and the coffee became the subproduct, and what that does is that allows people to shop under as many veterans as they want. So they could buy one bag of coffee under you know twenty different veterans, and when it when it spits out to us, it shows exactly what was bought and what veteran is owned their percentage off of that purchase. And so then, um, what is really awesome is we just cut our first set of checks back to vets that um, coffee was bought under um that last month, and that was and feels pretty awesome
2: that's so cool, so let me suggest so, so I got this right so basically, if someone's a vet, they can sign up with your program, and they can then be eligible to receive a percentage of sales. And me as a consumer, I can go online and if I'm purchasing, I can pick certain vets or I can do certain things so that when I'm buying coffee, money's going back to the ones I select. Is that am I understanding that correctly? That is correct. Okay, so this is and really brilliant because now you've got any vet who signs up, they're gonna help you market, right? Because this is something that <laughs> They get to, you know, have help their family or themselves or, you know, whatever their situation is. And so, I mean, one, it's brilliant and amazing because you're giving back to vets. But two, I love how you bring them into the story and really let it be personal to them.
1: So thank you very much, because that was spoken like a true entrepreneur. You saw exactly my concept. So when you're in now we did add active duty and first responders also. Um, and let me tell you, you know, being active duty. And, and again, I love our, I love our military. I love the country and this and that, but in a lot of cases, you know, um, active duty and veterans and first responders. there's a lot of times are, uh, there's a big pay gap in other industries. Right. Comparatively for, for what they do. Let's be honest. I mean, you know, um, unfortunately we have just read the news that there were servicemen, uh, lost, uh, just the other day. Um, how, you know, unfortunately we turn on the news every day and it seems like there's another first responder that has uh, passed away. And so for what they give comparatively to let's say a sports person, um, who isn't putting their life on the line right. and, uh, catching a ball or shooting a ball or whatever. um, Our thought process as a society is, I think is a little bit backwards in where, you know, you have an EMT person that is, you know, rolling up on a car accident and saving someone's life and they're making 19,000 a year in some cases. And it's like, really? So when I thought of tattered beans, I full heartedly had it to where at the end of the day, cash is King. So I need to put and want to put cash in their pocket. And how can I do that? Because let's be brutally honest and hopefully I don't offend anyone. Um, don't really care if I do though, but you know, the multi-level marketing is always been a huge scam. And so when you're making people buy, saran wrap to put around your belly and telling people that you're going to lose weight this way there it's, it's a scam. It's a downright scam. And these people are having to buy product. Whereas with, with tattered beans, you just sign up and you get your own personal link and you don't have to buy one thing of coffee. You don't have to store it. You don't have to buy so much a month to be a part of the website or part of the program. You just make a profile and you can be, you can work as hard or as little as you want at it. And if you work really super hard and you really push, we even help you get commercial accounts. You know, we work on our pricing so that if somebody, you know, goes and gets their own cafe in Texas, you know, we help, um, you know, with our costs to help you, you know, close that contract because at the end of the day, they're going to get a percentage of that sale. And, you know, that's how a secondary income can be made so that they're not having to go out and invest in these scams and not get anything back from it, right. except for a closet full of, you know, junk.
2: Right. And they have no investment in, they sign themselves up. And like you said, it's whatever they they want to put into it. Or, or maybe if it's even a fallen soldier, it's their family can do it on in their behalf, you know? And so that's just amazing. I love that. And, you know, you're 100% correct. Justin and I were just out in Georgia, and we had met with some veteran services um, for, for for our own business. And uh, But we were kind of talking about the funding and the housing and just how the funding of it is, you know, just so minimal. And, you know, we were comparing it to another facility we were looking at that had to do with people accused of crimes but were being in a holding position for deciding if they were mentally sane, Uh, mentally capable to uh, stand trial. And so looking just at the funding of the two different things and like how much less we give to our veterans, it's just heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, each of those mentally um, people that were... being evaluated to stand trial. So what if they, they have something or not, they can say that they can't stand trial and they can go under a mental evaluation. Literally yep. one person towards to a room. But for the veterans, they're trying to get, you know, they have four beds in a room. So it's four people in the same size room. And you're like, wait, wait a second. Hold on. These people didn't commit a crime. They served their country. And so the funding is literally 25% of that of what we give to criminals. Well, potential criminals. Yeah, potential criminals. Or even what we spend on someone in in a jail comparatively to what we give our veterans um, just from the government. But... You know, I do want to touch upon something because I feel the same way about this. And Deborah and I have, uh, obviously, we've been talking about this quite a bit because of what we saw. But the fact that first responders and people in the military and all that the pay discrepancy for what they do and what they risk compared to even just, you know, a person going into an office building every day is such a vast difference. And, And I like what you're doing because it is gapping that um, that difference or, or, um, differentiation between their, what they deserve and what they need. And so, you know, it's not, we don't need to talk about it right now, but definitely I would love to talk about how we in our business and what we do with food and producing food on large scales, um, and co-packaging and stuff like that, maybe be able to help complement what you're doing there and help veterans and maybe give other product lines into you guys to help them make money in that way and I don't know you know you, you're right there so maybe you have an idea but any way that we could help do that as well I would love to be involved in ways to make veterans and active service members and and police and, and whatever first responders uh, do that and as a person that lived through nine eleven, and like I said a friend who passed away and family members who have served in the military I just think it's such a big deal you know, and considering like I have an uncle that spent 20 years of his life in the military and seeing what he's come out with and, and, and trying to find jobs and layoffs and stuff like that. And, you know, he served this great thing in the struggle that he has. Um, I love what we're talking about here. I think it's just so important that we we have the ability to give back and, and give the all the people in the military and first responders and police, and also a secondary purpose you know in that yes, go do what your first purpose is is save lives and be there for people, but also here 's what we can do as entrepreneurs to give back to them. so I just want to throw that out there it 's you know as something that Deborah and I do, and obviously we 're passionate about because we 've been talking about it quite a bit after we saw it ourselves in first person of how bad it actually is for these people that have given their lives really to, to us and give their lives to, to save other people's lives and protect our borders and, and whatever it is, it's just mind boggling how we as a society don't appreciate it more and, and devalue their service.
1: Well, I think, you know, the news hasn't helped. um, And your service. So thank you
0: for serving as well. (laughs)
1: Um, the you know unfortunately um you know we're a clickbait society now and so if we can you know um get the situation to get more viewers um the news you know goes that route and i think the one of the last things i that i saw was an article um and then news that was how you went in the military because you didn't have anything else in life you were You know basically a nobody you weren't going to go to college you weren't going to do anything good so you had to go in the military and don't get me wrong you know there's in some situations that's what people do um and other people go into it because that's their passion that's what they want to do and you're so right when you know like you were saying you know 20 years later you know you're looking for a job and you know if you're an ammunition specialist what do you do out in the real world? And the the thing that we eventually will start in another business opportunity is when you come in, when you get out of the military, you know, there's a lot of good things instilled in, into you and, um, you know, work ethic and not giving up. And, you know, like we have our fourth quarter strong blend and that's a specific blend because a lot of times, you know, people in the military, um, you know, the adage came from football and being in the fourth quarter and you have to give it your all. And the military does that. And, you know, there's, uh, young men and women that went to battle and, or are stationed somewhere and they got to give it their all every single day. And it's fourth quarter to them every single day. And, you know, there's so much more, that they have to deal with that people don't even think about. Like I said, they're away from home, you know, they're thousands and thousands of miles away from, you know, their, you know, newborns, or maybe they didn't even get to see their child uh, being born because they got deployed and the income gap. Um, it just, Oh my gosh, there's just so much. And, you know, listen, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm really honest. We are, we say right up front, we're a for-profit business. Yeah. Um, that we run, we run the company on a dollar, and we give four back to the veterans, active duty or first responders, and the rest is all built into cost of the coffee and bags and boxes and, and whatever. And I'm going to um, offend
0: someone by saying this, but. Um, in my opinion, that doing it for -for not-for-profit never really helps anyone. And while money's being given, it's not creating an economy or a business by which they can live on. And I say this all the time in meetings. You know, I don't want to give, send mosquito nets to someone. I want to teach them how to build the mosquito nets and work with them to sell it and profit off of it. Because giving them the mosquito nets doesn't do anything for them. Okay, well, now they don't get bit by a mosquito, but you're not economically helping them in any other way. And you need for-profit businesses to do that.
1: Well, don't you guys, can I ask you guys a personal question? Don't you guys think that we are donated out? Um, and, I, and, and and what I mean by that is, you go to CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, you go to Kmart, you go to Walmart, you go to Target, you go to any anywhere, and it you check out and everyone says, would you like to give a dollar? Would you like to donate to this? Would you like to go to donate to that? Right, right. And so... My theory behind this is like, I don't want to ask for a donation. I want to say, listen, you buy a bag of coffee, which is really good coffee. You're going to enjoy it. And you're actually going to get something for your purchase. And I'm going to give back to somebody. And so it's, uh, you know, we call it a donation project uh, because that's what we are, you know. And but people are getting something. We're not just not asking someone like, hey, do you want to give us a buck? you want to you know and they know where their money is going if they don't if they don't know a vet or an active duty member or first responder on the website but maybe their dad was a police officer back in the day right well they can go and and click the general police officer fund and buy coffee under that and then what we do is we uh, if we have other police officers on the website who didn't have any sales, we divvy that money up among them so that they make something. Um, if everyone has had sales, then we give it to some uh, police organization that we have vetted and in th- in that we support. So this way, people can still buy awesome coffee, even though they don't know one specific person they can give to. Um, the Army, the Marines, the Air Force, the Navy, the Coast Guard, um, in either veteran or active duty, or they can give it to um, EMTs, fire, or police as a generalization. And so we fix that issue of people not knowing a specific person to be able to shop under.
2: Right. I mean, I think it's super cool, too, because, I mean, you get to vote with your dollars, right? I mean, when we pay taxes you know, we've got, you know, I'm sure some of them are very dedicated, but a lot of knuckleheads sitting there deciding how we spend money. I mean, you hear what goes through government budgets and you're like, we spend how much on what, you know, it's a little boggles the mind. So it's kind of cool because it's like, if you're going to buy coffee anyway, you can vote with your dollars, right? You can decide where, you know, some, where some of your money goes. And I love that idea.
0: And here's the reality is in the food business, If the $4 weren't going to a veteran and you had a traditional business food model, that $4 would go to a broker or distributor or or commissions for a salesperson or a sales rep agency or whatever. So the fact, you know, when people are like, oh, it's $4, it's a lot, or, you know, I can hear it already in some of the comments. But the reality is this, if that money wasn't going to the veterans, it'd go to someone else. So why not give it to them and let them earn it? And so I really like that concept. And, um and it really sticks with me and and i'm gonna throw a plug in there for another group that and part of the reason you know i love this episode and and the military things really coming front and center for deborah and i not only from the loss of a friend but uh, and family members that have uh, been in the military but we've recently talked to a group in georgia that called comfort farms and they sort of um help veterans with PTSD, um, get involved in farming and, and organically rain, uh, and sustainably farming and organically raising crops and all of that to help them find purpose outside of the military, because they, a lot of them come out, you know, don't know what to do. Can't find something, you know, that keeps them active every day to go back to the, uh, dump trucks and the, the bulldozers and stuff like that. Like, you know, when you're used to life and, And having life and needing to do something and having a purpose every single day, you know, to go into a career that's just 9 to 5 and not have a 24-hour purpose or something you're taking care of becomes difficult. So I just like that there's these groups out there like you guys doing that. And I wanted to give them a plug just because... You know, there's there's probably something there, maybe in uh, being an entrepreneur. And I'm a dreamer. uh, The same way is, you know, I can dream of maybe like taking their pigs and making baking out of it, and also selling it through a site like yours, or partnering with you with your model and, and making something like that work. Because I'm like, there's a way that we can really benefit all these veterans and really make serving in the military or serving as a police officer or a pers- a fireman or firewoman. You know, as as something that, you know, can be rewarded and we can appreciate them as society and as entrepreneurs, because, you know, they're not appreciated enough by t- the taxes we pay. So I figure I feel like what you're doing is showing them a level of appreciation through profiting and through being an entrepreneur, which I believe truly is the solution to all problems is it has to be for profit. It has to have economics. It has to create economic benefit and it has to lift up people economically, you know, so they can go from, you know, lower class to middle class or middle class to upper class. And when we don't do that, all we do is keep people where they are by, by doing donations and stuff like that. And I believe in donating. Don't get me wrong. Um, but at a point, you're like you need. We need to figure out a better way to lift up these people and get them to work and and create, you know, economic benefit.
1: So I agree, hundred percent. I wanted to ask you, know, you,
2: like, from a business component, because I'm a little bit now. My so you guys are for profit, and when you give money, is it? As a donation to these individuals or groups, how does that, does that just show up as an expense on your books or do you mark it as a donation? And if so, do they have to be a 0501c3 or are you, is there a maximum that you can give? Cause I know like you can only gift X amount per year to per person or anyway, so my mind's a little bit reeling with the technical side and the financial side of that.
1: It's, it's um, so they will, you know, uh, get taxed at the end of the year, they'll get the 1099, Okay, and a lot of them, a lot won't have to worry about any of the issues because they won't meet the threshold that right. they would have to um, report it. In some cases, but for the people that would have to, um, to us, it's it, it's shown as an expense.
2: Okay, uh, so it's like an- having a sales commission sort of idea. Correct is how it shows up in your books and how it they report it on the receiving end. Exactly. Okay. Cool. Yep. Yeah, no, and I can see. I mean, obviously because the other way I'm like, how would you do it as a literal donation? But and I love that you're unapologetic about it you being a for-profit company. There's I mean, I think for-profit companies, especially small businesses are predominantly all of new jobs. I mean, it's the lion's share of it. There's a lot that go, that small business provides our society and to be unapologetic about it and your success. I think, you know, because you are successful is because you can do this. You know, it's, if it weren't for the one, you couldn't do the other. And I think what you're doing is incredible. And obviously lots of people are benefiting from it. So kudos to you.
1: You know, what was cool is I'll give you two instances, you know, so one, one guy had one of the vets has been signed up for less than a month. And you know, so where he had um, came on board and started selling and, and started putting his link out there, he made eighty five dollars in let's say a couple weeks. Right, I mean that's eighty five dollars for doing nothing. He just literally would post on his social media a picture of him drinking the coffee, and people trusted him. He had samples; other people had tasted it. They loved the coffee, and um, people bought under his profile. And by people doing that, he made X amount of percentages on people when they bought K-Cups. He made X amount of dollars when people bought a 12-ounce bag. Uh, we had people buy, you know, five-pound bags, you know, and um, where he got X amount of percentage on that. So he and, – and he is seeing the uh, benefit from it. So now um, he's going out and looking at commercial um, projects you know, trying to pick up the local pub or something like that to uh, buy it. Now that, you know, he's a go-getter. Right. So he sees the benefit of it, you know. Um, you know, it's we look at it from this standpoint that if somebody really, really worked hard at it and they sold 100 bags a month, uh, uh, retail bags, that's $400 a month that they would make. Right. So it's, it's I, mean- great. I mean, you know.
2: Yeah. I mean, it just makes so much sense. So for those people who fall under your category of veterans, first responders, whatnot, how do they get involved with your company? Maybe you could kind of explain that to the listeners so that if there are people out there who want to participate, you can explain how.
1: So listen, if you're a veteran, you know a veteran, if you know a first responder, if you know an active duty, maybe it's a, a uncle, a cousin, you know, uh, one of your siblings, your children, um, you would, you can go to our tatteredbeans.com and hit the register button and that will send you directly to that page. Um, the actual page is submit.tatteredbeans.com and you know, right there's all the information on the the things that we require. Um, if you're active duty, you can't be in uniform, um, or it has to be blurred, uh, and what your, you know your rank or anything like that. Same with first responders. Uh um, your badge numbers or anything like that have to be blurred. You just have to verify, you know, give us the information so that we can verify that you are who you are and things like that. So people aren't stealing valor. And then same with veterans. The, the one requirement that we have is that you have to be honorably discharged. So you have to have your DD form 214, or you have to click the box. that says that if you take money that it's, you know, under prosecution. So they're the big requirements. Um, but the, the biggest, and you'll know this as an entrepreneur, um, the biggest thing that we're finding is that a lot of people um, don't want people to think that they need help. And um, so the, from the donation side of it, they don't like that concept. So we've really tried to get them to understand it's, well, we say it's a donation because it's really what's happening, um, but it's a business opportunity for you. So- But now we're re-educating a lot of people and now we're getting more signups because people can actually understand it is a secondary income. And we always use the uh, multi-level marketing concept because so many people have done it and they're looking for that extra income that they can do from home Um, or maybe their at-home wife or husband that's home with the kids um, can do from home. Uh, where they can. They can market it. They can sell it to their friends. They can do those things. And so once we go after and we explain to them, like, listen, you can make as much with tattered beans as you did with fat, and you don't have to buy anything. You don't have to put it in an investment. You just got to fill out the forms and get a link and post it and talk about it. So when you're at the soccer game, tell your friends. You know, when you're, um, you know, out to – dinner and you know the restaurant owner be like hey who you know whose coffee do you use you know like listen hey i you know i'm part of this coffee brand and you know here you can buy under my link you know and we'll help that person um with our pricing to help them close those deals um you know because at the end of the day my at least my business concept is that if i don't want to take from their percentage if i have to lower our dollar down to 70 cents at the end of the day, it's still a sale. Right. So it's helping put money in that better's pocket. And we're still making 70 cents. Because if, if, I, if I'm if I'm a fool and I don't help that, that vet close that deal, then we don't get anything. And zero at the end of the day is zero, zero.
2: Right, right. Okay, so walk me through a little bit. So if I were to go to your website and look at it, do I see a list of... Um, veterans and i can go through and click and if i click five then the four dollars on my bag gets divided over five people or how does that work what does that look like to the consumer
1: so what happens is once they log once they log on to bless you once they log on to uh dot uh, com, um you'll see uh three boxes it will say veterans active duty or first responders so you get a click whoever you want to shop under so maybe you start with veterans. Maybe you want to buy five of our, our blends. So you shop under, you start under with veterans, and you don't know anybody. So you, you knew your friend was in the Marines. So you buy three bags of coffee under the general um, Marine description. Right. Then you say, well, my nephew is active duty, and though he's not on the website, he's in the Navy. So you go to active duty and you shop under the Navy. And then you say, oh, well, you know, Tom, our friend is on the first responders and he's actually on the website. So we're going to go to Tom's profile um, because Tom's a firefighter and we're going to buy two more bags of coffee under him. So when you check out, it tells us it, it gives us a little photo and who you bought coffee under. And then at the end of each month, we do uh, we dump all of our data and our system tells us that Tom the firefighter had five people buy the 12 ounce bags of coffee under him so Tom would get a check cut to him for 20 dollars. Right.
2: Okay. So now, um, cause I'm just thinking if I'm, let's say I'm a business and every year at Christmas, I send all of my clients a bag of coffee. Can I come to your website and give you the addresses of my 50 clients and have you send each one of them a bag of coffee and, um, you know, dedicate the bag to each one being a special, you know, to, Diversify it. Can you do that? And do you guys handle all that fulfillment, or would I then have to order it? You ship it all to me, and then I would then have to ship it again to all my clients.
1: No, so we could we could do that, you know, for you um, under the system. You would tell us where that would want shipped to. So it would be a little bit of legwork under you, right? Um, you could either contact us and give us the information. We could fill the order and just you know use your credit card. Or, or you could physically, you know, go in there, pick a person because upon checking out, it would, you would say where you would want it shipped to. Okay.
2: Um, and so, and so then when I, if I were to go in and I click on a bag of coffee after that point, is that then where I get to see the different soldiers and all, whatnot? Is that when I see that, or can I see it prior to, can I like go in and no. scroll and see all the different ones?
1: No, you see it prior, okay. there too. So the first thing that you do is, is remember the the um, the veteran, the active duty, and the first responders. Those physical p- people are technically the products to us. Okay. So you have to pick who you want to shop under, I and then it. at that point, once you pick again, John, who's a firefighter, you click his profile, and then all of our coffee blends. Uh, show up. And from there, you, like I said, then you can hit continue shopping and then you could go to um, active duty and then, Oh, well, there's my nephew. So I'm going to shop under him too. And then, then you hit continue. And then you could bounce over to the veterans and say, well, I don't know any veterans, but again, my dad was in the army. So I'm going to click under the the general army fund um, and shop under there. And so what kind of, uh,
0: different flavors. I I know the roasters and the flavor thing we've been over in the coffee, but what are the different types of coffees that you guys offer?
1: Uh, we also offer like, are you asking like a dark blend or medium blend? Well, the or... actual,
0: uh, cause you mentioned you could pick what type of coffee you wanted. So what are those types of coffee?
1: So we have as far as the uh, capabilities of five pound um, K cups, um, vac packs, which vac packs to us are the, um, like something that you would use in the, in the cafe, mm-hmm. um, cause they make a 24 ounce, uh, bag of coffee itself. And, and so, and then we have our 12 ounce bags.
2: Okay. So, and is it all like a medium roast or a dark roast or what type of coffee is it?
1: So the, so our unflavored, what we call our unflavored is like our morning run. You know, this is a medium body, uh, blend Mm -hmm. and, and then under another unflavored, like we have our, our Delta dark and this is our, you know, full body. It's a, you know, dark blend. Um, and then our fourth quarter strong. Now this, this particular blend, we had moved from an espresso type grind to more of a regular standard coffee. Um, and we would put that up against any of the strongest blends out there. You know, um, <laughs> if right. you're I mean, really I mean, looking for a jolt. <laughs> we, yeah, we have had people been like, wow, you know, we're still zinging off this stuff. <laughs> um that's why we called it the fourth quarter strong because, you know, at, at that point in time, you know, you're taking that because you need to keep going. Like you're, You know, you got that, you know, the paper at night that you're working late on and you got to stay up late and, you know, so you're going to take the fourth quarter strong, get you through it.
2: Right, right. Uh, Um, And I'm jumping around a little bit on questions because my mind's kind of like trying to conceptualize the whole thing. The other thing is if I go in and I purchase a bag of coffee or whatnot... I'm thinking about the company scenario again, where I purchase it for all of my clients or whatnot. Would they then get us, is there a story or something that accompanies the bag of coffee? So I would know that it was a portion of the proceeds went to XYZ soldier.
1: So they get a printout, um, on who, um, their particular proceeds went to. Okay, cool. Uh, if you had, um, if you had bought coffee for uh, someone in your office, Nancy, and you bought it under your friend's Joe's profile, right? then Nancy would get um, the packing slip and it would say, you know, this, you know, it would have Joe's little picture um, and, you know, the description of the coffee and then uh, another little bio on the different um, backpacks and how that all works as far as their ounces, this and that, and then a little thank you note from me.
2: Very cool. Okay. So when we started this whole conversation, um, prior to hitting record, we were talking a little bit. You also mentioned some other businesses you have going on right now. And so do you mind if we jump into some of those? Cause I'm kind of fascinated yeah. about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the, one of the, passion projects that I have is we, um, through one of my businesses back in the day, um, I had had the luxury of working with Showtime and, uh, and with some really awesome Emmy winning producers and some really high end, um, Hollywood producers, you know, for my project. And so that, you know, allowed me to always keep that Hollywood bug in doing stuff. And I just love the film industry and and being creative and putting stuff together. So um, when we had started this stuff back up, um, I wanted to invest in the film equipment and invest in being able to do our own projects. And because there's a lot of subscription services out there now that allow investors like myself or entrepreneurs to, you know, they have a platform for us to put our um, material out there. Now, we have to work really hard to market it and get it to trend and stuff like that. But, you know, if you're really good at it, you can be, you know, real successful. But you get to have a lot of fun. And so a couple of my passion projects I was telling you about was through Tattered Beans, we're going to do a docuseries called Tattered Lives. And this one's really cool because we're going to go and focus on uh, military life um, before, during and after with veterans and, and, you know, they don't have to be wartime veterans. Unfortunately, you know, most will be at this, this standpoint, but um, they're going to be of all ages, um, uh, of all levels, you know, comparative, maybe, you know, Navy SEALs, all the way, all the way down to, you know, someone that, you know, may, might've been a cook. Um, and so we want to hear their stories. So we're, we're going to start filming those in October, um, and start to put that together, and that that project will be directly correlated with tattered beans and i 'm really super excited about that one
0: yeah I love that actually because um, you know one of the things that I really got into about three months ago on Netflix, and I literally watched the series three times and even made Deborah watch it was the Medal of Honor series that they did mm-hmm. on people that have won the Medal of honor, and I think it 's awesome, yep. and you see this awesome military service but one of the things you don't see is and we they don't tell the story us is the everyday soldier the the 26,000 other soldiers or whatever the number is that are in the military every day i bet i mean i'm assuming it's larger than that that's just a random number i threw out but it's um it's sort of being able to tell that story and what you're doing i think is amazing
1: well thank you it definitely is uh like i said it's very close to my heart um I agree with you 100%. Is is a lot of times there isn't, um, you know, stories done on the average person. And I mean, look at, listen, let's get real. Let's look at reality TV. If you remember, uh, again, I'll date myself, but if you remember back to um, MTV doing um, the very first yeah, reality, reality show, right? Yep, uh, Real World, the very first one. They were regular people. Just yeah. Joe Schmidt off the street, and then all of a sudden, people saw that that worked. And then Celebrity Apprentice was regular people off the street, you know, college graduate or, or whoever. And then all of a sudden, we got back into the D list celebrities, and uh, you know, their managers are pushing for them to you know get back on TV and you know try to relaunch their careers and this and that. And then the average person now, all of a sudden, took a back seat to these people. But the problem is, is that the average person is way more exciting to watch, because they, you know, they weren't used to TV, they weren't used to these things. So watching the dynamics of that compared to someone who's performed in front of sixty thousand people, somebody that's already been on TV, yeah. uh, um, things look so much staged and so much more unreal, uh, more scripted. And, that's, and so, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that you know, and. and And it just with with what I'm doing is I want to get back to looking at the average person. And like I said, there's a lot lot of awesome military people and a lot of awesome stories. But I think the stories of, you know, the 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 cook or somebody that, you know, or the medic or, you know, that's having to deal with these things, you know, maybe they weren't in battle, but you know, they got back and, and they're having to, you know, work with these guys that have, you know, been in situations um, that were so harrowing and how do they, how do they handle it? Um, Knowing, you know, that these people are out there and they're here and that could be a completely, totally different mindset. Like maybe they're feeling like they're not as important, you know, but they have to feed the people, you know, and, and so, I take the mentality, you know, even like the show that we're doing or the businesses that I own, if it wasn't for everyday people, if it wasn't for the truck driver, if it wasn't for the, you know, the factory worker that, you know, built the, well, if there, as long as it's in America, um, you know, built the products that we're using, um, you know, we couldn't do the things that we do. You know, if it wasn't for the farmers, you know, so there's a whole lot of people before things get to a restaurant table that have gone into to get to that restaurant table. And we forget about a lot of those people and the processes they go through.
0: And I agree with that 100%. And I love that you're saying that because it's also one of the reasons when I was like wanting to do the podcast, I was looking through podcasts and I'm looking through things on the internet and it always tells the story of, of the celebrities and, the, you know, and it seems like an overnight success, but it's not, but it never tells the story of the everyday entrepreneur. There's so many entrepreneurs out there. Like you said that it takes 20 years maybe to even become a millionaire or save a million dollars in their business. And there's so many people out there, you know, whose stories and being an entrepreneur and understanding it in, in, and I chose food and beverage because that's what I know. But and in, in people I knew, but it's so true. You We don't hear the everyday story of the everyday person. You know, you get on as close to get as the real housewives of Philadelphia or something, but they're all living in 15,000 square foot homes. And so you're like, okay, well, how real is that? That's a That's a fraction of reality. That's not actually the way the majority of the people live or the majority of the vets in in the case that you're talking about but for me it's like how do I tell the majority of the entrepreneurs that they're not alone that they're and educate from one another and learn from one another like we're doing on this podcast because the the thing was is I was looking for podcasts and looking for it and I hear all these things and these inspirations and these people talk and some of it's great don't get me wrong but a majority of it is not even close to the 99% of the people that were in food and beverage entrepreneurs I'm like we need to tell their story and and tell people stories so people can learn from one another. And what you're doing is going to help other veterans know they're not alone and that there's people out there with their stories and also educate the public who aren't ha- or don't have a military background about what it's like so we can have more compassion for these people, you know? And yep. we should.
1: Yep, I agree
2: 100%. 100%. So just so, curious, how are you, um, identifying which projects will be your first filming projects?
1: Um, well, I had told you prior to starting recording my initial, I, I had opened up a tattoo shop, uh, for a particular reason for a young lady, um, who I was, uh, backing and investing in because, um, I believed in her and, and her dream And so uh, the initial one was to do uh, a show called Amish Inc. And it's funny because I can talk openly that, um, you know, we are in the process of closing that down and reinventing it. Because there was a fallout and uh, a huge disagreement uh, among myself and her and uh, the way that it was being run um, the lack of, uh, listening maybe, uh, that they, that she wanted to do. Um, and it's sad because I, when I invest in businesses, I invest in people. And from there, um, I was let down because, um, she couldn't see the overall picture and she let her, uh, feelings of something else get in the way. And in, unfortunately in business, you can't generally let that happen or you fail like, you know, in her situation. And I hope that she's able to eventually at some point, you know, uh, keep going and and pick herself up. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a long road, you know, for someone like her. Um, because from a, uh, an investor standpoint, you know, we take, a completely different look at, at things. You know, a lot of times, you know, we have to look at the bottom line. We have rents, do we have, you know, lights and stuff like that. And in our situation, um, and I'm, I'm going to speak very freely of it uh, because other entrepreneurs, you know, need to understand this. Is that, you know, in in some cases, is you take a chef or like this person's an artist and they don't understand the business side of things, right? And so they only look at, I want to make the most beautiful meal and this and that. And, you know, well, but are you, you know, what are your food costs?
2: Right. It has to pencil. (laughs) (laughs) Great. But it has Um, to pencil.
1: Exactly. And so in, in her case, um, you know, she alienated a lot of other artists, um, because she couldn't get past an ego and, um, which then ultimately ended up hurting the overall business. And so then I have to come in as an investor and be like, yo, uh, we have a situation here. (laughs) And so, um, she can't understand the business side of things. Right. And I'm not big on drama. Like I, I have told employees, dude, like, and even my GMs have said, listen, Jason loves to laugh he loves to joke around. So man, if he comes in, have a smile on your face, like don't no drama. Like he, he hates drama. Right. And, <laughs> um, you know, unfortunately, you know, sh- this young lady couldn't, um, you know, not cause drama and along with, uh, another individual. And, and at that point, you know, right? I love him to death. I- I mean, you know, I, I built the business strictly for her, you know, invested, you know, a lot of money just so that she could become a tattoo artist. And, uh, um, you know, you have to uh, I, I just saw Tony Robbins had just posted um, something on on as a sponsored advertising. And it was incredible because, oh, my God, it fit this particular situation. But so many other situations that I have. Uh, gone through and um, had to deal with firing somebody uh, or something, and it it stinks. But at the same time, you know you have to get rid of the negativity in a business because it will crush you oh, in a second.
0: Yeah. Well, and it it infesters, and it's the truly the one bad apple will ruin the bunch uh, saying and. And really, for me, like, and I used to feel terrible about firing people, but I, I've looked at it a little differently in that all the hardships that have happened to me, like, and in, in people that have mistreated me, like, I thank them because it's now I look at it as I'm appreciative of it because it led me to who you are. It doesn't mean I like what you did or I like you as an individual, let's be clear, but I am thankful for it because it's not what happened to me, it's what happened for me. And so yep. my look at it is like this, listen, you're not working out, but I'm not going to let you continue to do this to my business one or our businesses two. Uh, but I'm not going to let you to continue to do this to yourself. So here's this, I'm going to fire you and let you go. And maybe this will be a wake up call for you, or maybe it'll be in a series of things that I hope will be a wake up call for you. And if not, okay, it's not my problem, but I hope that this makes you a better person because, you know, we're defined by our hardships. We're not defined by our successes, in my opinion, anyway. And who I am today is more of the things that we talked about on this podcast is the lows, not the highs. You know, the highs are the celebration of things that have went well. The lows are, are the things I had to go through to get there. And so, yep. um, you know, I love that you're saying that. And I didn't mean to intervene um, and get off topic, but... When we do that, I, I do feel that we're actually doing what's best for someone, and it is a little bit of tough love, but, you know, from my parents, what they would probably say to me when I'm like, oh, God, you were so hard on me, they're like, well, you needed, you know, you needed the reality check, you know, and that's how I sort of feel about employees, and that doesn't mean I'm not, I'm insensitive to what they're going through as people, but What I am doing is, hey, like this is not working and I have 39 other people to take care of. And because you're number 40 doesn't mean you get to hurt the other 39 people.
1: Exactly. Yep. And that's, you know, and and I agree with you. I I, I never like firing somebody uh, because it's never going to be a good situation. Um, But at some point in time, you have to stop coddling and be able to make that decision and like with me it was you know i'm looking at like man i just invested a ton of money into this one person right. and now she, you know she's checked out mentally like she just can't handle it right and so now i have you know i either have i have two options i either have to reinvent And try to get my investment back or I have to walk away and close it down and and deal with whatever the fallout is with that as far as leases and and selling equipment and stuff like that. And and as entrepreneurs, they're the tough decisions that we have to make. And whereas, again, my brain thinks like, why, like, is it that hard for someone to understand to do the right thing and maybe get your head out of your butt and (laughs) uh, look at what you were given? like just
2: this is a huge opportunity right
1: (laughs) exactly and you know for this individual you know she had some outside influences and they've always been a bad influence and you know i can sit there and tell her that and other people can tell her that but um you know it's one of those It's one of those situations where it's almost like an addict, you know, an addict doesn't want to fix themselves until they want to fix themselves and they may never want to. So no matter how much rehab you put them in and how much you help them or how much you tell them you love them or whatever, you know, they may look at you with this, you know, fake smile and say, no, I'm going to get better. In all reality, they know they're not going to get better. And in this scenario as an entrepreneur, entrepreneur you know I have to be able to pinpoint and look at that person and know people and say yep it isn't going to get better so I need to cut my losses at this point and figure out the next move I mean would you guys agree or disagree oh totally I mean I think of employees
2: and in the past I mean I remember when I very first had a business and I had to fire people it was really hard um and I had to Talked to my dad about it. He used to own a variety of different businesses. And what the realization I came to is that when you have an employee, you basically have an agreement like, you're going to do this and I'm going to pay you X, and those are our terms kind of a deal. And that the reality is, is that when you quote unquote fire someone, you're not really firing them. They kind of already fired themselves. You're just the one making it official. They broke the terms. They aren't living up to what the agreement was. And therein lies, like, hey, it's time for me to like say, I'm not going to let you keep breaking all the rules. And we've already talked about this X number of times and today's the final day. So, you know, I, and so for me that really took the sting out of it. Cause I used to have a lot of guilt around firing people. You know, you, you hire people, you want to like help them in their lives. You want to, you know, they become part of your life and to let people go is sometimes a real hard thing to do. But once you realize that, you know, you're not really helping them if you're letting them, not live up to their potential or live up to even their, whatever their agreement is with you. So I agree completely.
1: Yeah. It's sad though. Um, For sure. I've invested in, I've invested in, in lost you know, many situations like that. And, and because again, I look at, and I, I always want the best out of people or, and um, it's funny because when I got home from the situation last night and I walked in the door And my wife looked at me and she looked me dead in the eyes and she said, when are you going to stop investing in people that, and I just, and she walked away because she's seen me invest a ton of money into people and their, their ideas and their concepts. And, and prior to doing so, like we sit down and we go over and get them to understand business and I mentor them and I give them all the ups and downs and what the, You know, the hard work they're going to have to put in, the sweat equity, and this is what's going to happen. And you're going to have your ups and downs, and communication's everything. Like, you have to communicate because if there's a lack of communication, that's where everything fails. And, you know, so you go through months and months of of this mentorship and talking and getting to understand one another. And then at the end of the day, it still fails. And it's just like, ugh. Yeah, it's actually one Um, of the
0: deepest conversations Deborah and I one of our first deep conversations that we ever had was when she said something similar to me she's like when are you going to stop investing in people who take advantage of you and i was like whoa
2: well, it's kind it, of identifying you know like it's being generous is a beautiful thing and it should be encouraged amongst everyone but it's generosity isn't to be given to everyone there are people who you know wor- kind of take advantage of those situations. And that really was what I was identifying with is I'm like, Hey, you know, you're the most generous person I know, but there are people who I'm like, literally like, look at what they're doing. They're not giving back at all. They're just, it's a one way road with them. And so it's heartbreaking though, right? Because whenever you're giving, you're doing it because it's coming from a good place in your heart. You're taking time out of your own life to mentor them and you know, whatever the relationship is, however you're helping, you know, and to have it just backfire. But You know, not everyone is built to be an entrepreneur. It definitely is a certain breed. And, you know, like you said, I mean, you even got to a point and you're like total serial entrepreneur who's had a gazillion different businesses. And you even after being knocked down at some point, were like, whoa, like I got to take a break. This really kind of has taken me back quite a bit. And, you know, maybe that's just not her calling. And maybe the reality is she's an amazing tattoo artist, but that's she should be. In a tattoo business, not owning it or something. Yep, hard to yep. know. And
1: that's what we. It, it is. It is. You know, my wife had told me early on. It was probably my. It was. It was when I had my housing developments and big time construction. And I, you know, and I was putting in all those hours. You know, it was eighteen hours easy a day, and um, I would be pissed when other people weren't putting in those hours. You know, like the subcontractors and this next. I got so much work. And I'm like, my God, why aren't you working like me? You know, like you can make all this money. Like, look, what, what's happening, you know? And, and she looked at me and she said, listen, <laughs> you're going to kill yourself. Um, people, not everyone is going to work like you. So you're at a 12, need you at about a four. And um, that resonated with me and allowed me to um, – develop so much more as an entrepreneur because I was able to identify with the people who I knew had it in them that wanted to put in the, because we all know like the, the, the the, big time success doesn't come in the first eight hours of the day. It comes in the next eight hours. So I was able to identify with the people who wanted to put in a little bit of the extra work and, uh, really be successful and i'm going to say something that's going to probably, you know, shed a lot of light on stuff but um at the end of the day if you don't have a um a materialistic goal in something um there isn't really a lot of drive to get there and that's just my opinion so people that want to and that materialistic goal isn't necessarily a 6,000 square foot house or a Lamborghini. It might just be paying the electric bill on time or the right. cell bill. That's, right. as, that's as much of a realistic goal as a business owner as being as unrealistic in wanting and thinking maybe you're going to want to get that Lamborghini. Uh, it's great that you make a goal to own a Lamborghini, but you have to have the realism of can your business actually get you to that point or is it is it going to be able to drive you enough income to get there. But my point is, is that you have to make materialistic goals in order for you to be successful. Um, and those materialistic goals, as I said, can be whatever you want. But in a lot of cases, maybe it's just having extra money to go on a vacation. So in order to get that vacation, you're going to want to you know, pick up an extra job you know, maybe you're a lawn uh, care service. You're going to want to get. You're going to say, "I need to do five more jobs every single week for the next ten weeks for us to take the whole family to Cancun." Right. That's a materialistic, goal. and so you have to work towards that. And so, so many people for you know say like, "Ah, oh, if you're a materialistic pig," and no, you have to you have to have financial goals. And you you have to use those goals to better yourself as an entrepreneur.
2: Right. I mean, it's a means to an end. It takes money to accomplish most things. I mean, there's obviously spiritual components and things that don't fall into that category. But even to have the time to practice those spiritual rituals or whatnot, you need the ability to still the means to an end, you know, unless you somehow have a You don't have to have a house or, you know, eat those types of things. But yeah, I mean, it's a means to an end. I hear your point completely.
0: And I think it's important that you mentioned that also, because I think so much of what at least society in the United States is that we've kind of vilified people wanting to make more money or take care of themselves or being driven by money. And, you know, I think doing the right thing is important. Um, and I talk about it on the podcast quite a bit and the, some of the motivational Mondays. Think, yes, I do the right thing and I take care of my employees and I make sure the business runs well. The money does follow, but it's still that drive to make sure doing the right thing, you know, doing the right thing by the veterans and in, in the tattered beans scenario, it still drives that you're a for profit business, you know, so you're able okay. to do the right thing but profit at the same time. And we've sort of vilified money in that. You know, trying to earn money is not doing the right thing. And I'm like, well, wait, hold on. If we don't earn money, you have no ability to do the right thing. And I also argue that more entrepreneurs do the right thing by earning money and then using it for good, the extra money they make beyond their businesses and beyond their needed lifestyle to help people than anyone else. And just like what you're doing, there's a lot of bumps in the road before you're like, hey, now I've got this really bit concept. I've had all these bumps. Now all these things have come together to create this business that truly helps society and, and helps veterans, but it's for profit. Like I'm still in this to make money. And cause that's the point, you know, cause without it, what's the drive? I'm not going to work at something too long before it doesn't profit, you know?
1: Absolutely. And do you know why I think people are sick of that is because they're watching big time CEOs Run companies into the ground and still get like a sixteen million severance package. Yeah. They're they're watching CEO that or or even non-profit, you know, people that are running nonprofits making you know two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year. You know, running a nonprofit, um, and they're seeing money that's trickling down out of that nonprofit barely even get to the things that it needs to get to, and so people are very cynical in that in that scenario. Whereas my, when I, when people say anything about Tatter Beans and I say, listen, I'm a, I'm a for-profit company. So let me give you a breakdown. If I sell 1 million bags of coffee, which we will, we will have made $1 million as a company. And that's what we have to run on $1 million. I will have given back $4 million.
2: Right. That's pretty awesome, so, right? That's going to feel great. It
1: feels incredible. And so once I give that people that perspective, then they're like, oh, wow. Like, you're giving out, like, a lot back. And I said, yeah. I said, but <laughs> if I can't be happy as a company to have made a million dollars, there is seriously something wrong with with my brain. <laughs>
2: So are you using this whole docuseries business that you also have? Are you going to track any of Tattered Beans or any of the oh, sure. particular sure. individuals that are a part of it or them as a group? Absolutely.
1: Yep. Yep. So we will definitely, you know, through their cause each of them will be a profile They're going to have to be part of Tattered Beans in order to be part of the show. Right. Um, but we will track their, their profile to see, you know, maybe once they air, you know, um, have they become more popular than someone else? And, you know, in some instances, they will, some instances they won't, um, you know, cause not everyone identifies with each person that's on TV, um, or their particular story. So, and, you know, so we will definitely track, you know, sales for them to see how that, how that works.
2: Right. So if people wanted to find out more about this, the docuseries you'll be creating, is there a way that they can access it or it's too soon to... Have, look into it's it. Too soon. It's too soon. Yeah, so we'll, so we'll have to come back and yeah. talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it,
1: we should have that up um probably end of July. So okay. what we're doing currently is we are vetting our first set of vets for our um first go around. Um from there, um once we vet our first series and all of our first episodes, then at that point we will open it up to people to submit their first, their own stories. And we do that to one um, we control the scenario um, Two, we control our cost um, because then maybe we are only going to say, we're going to pick, you know, the, the first series of people all within, you know, 200 miles of us to control cost comparative to if, you know, we, be in Florida one, you know, if we, we like someone in Florida, you know, they'd be one time and, you know, someone in Maryland and California. And, you know, so there's a lot of costs associated because I'm, I'm, I'm investing in the, the first season myself. Right. So, you know, as an investor, you want to make sure you get your ROI back, right?
2: Right, of course. So will these veterans then be able to turn around and use these docuseries as part of their marketing? Like, is there an sure. upside for them? Are they like, hey, pick me, pick me, because um, they want to get their story out there, but they also can then use it to help their own business side of being involved with Tattered Beans.
1: Absolutely. I mean, they can, and we tell every every vet when, when they sign up, they get an email back from us um, with, you know, ideas and concepts. And we, you know, so we give everyone the same chance to, you know, again, be a go-getter. You know, like go out, you know, again, like I had said earlier, you know, find commercial accounts, you know, talk right. to people, um, you know, talk to, you know, if you have a young son or daughter, like, you know, you said in soccer or something like that, or gymnastics and listen, every freaking sport does fundraising, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. you know, use your brand, use your thing as, as a fundraising thing for them. And not only are you going to give back to them, but you're also making money yourself. Right. And so, um, you know, it, Again, but what's the old adage? You know, we can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Right. So, you know, we can give people all the tools to be, you know, to help them financially, but they have to want to put in a little bit of the extra time and see that, you know, $4 is a lot. Listen, you guys are in the food business. When you would make a sandwich, and if you made four bucks on it, in some cases, you're like, "Wow, but that's awesome.
2: huge. We're, we call ourselves a penny business. <laughs> you know it's all right. in the pennies. You just have to have lots of pennies.
1: exactly yeah. so in, in that in that instance, you know, people just didn't realize that you know to not have to invest in a business, not have any startup, right no attorney fees, mm-hmm. no anything like that that you know you have the ability to start making money from day one um, and sheer profit right it's just educating people and let me tell you why we have to reeducate it because the multi-level marketing people have you know uh, hurt someone like me trying to give back so bad right because people are like what's the catch yeah and I'm like <laughs> there is none right and they're like yeah okay you know, I my wife, she. You know, we bought into this. We spent five hundred dollars, and you know, and I'm like, dude, seriously, there's no catch. You just got to sign <laughs> up, you sign up, and put your link wherever you want. Like, right. I don't know what's diet.
2: Yeah. So, okay, so I hear the um, marketing side of the docu series, how that one will help tattered beans, and so, and that obviously gets monetized that way. But do you have other ways of monetizing that series? Like, do you have venues or outlets that you can? put you know that people can watch it that then monetizes it for you or how, how are you Certainly doing that well
1: what happens in that is if uh if one of the subscription services decides to pick it up then you would make money off of that right. um that's a whole different monster um but if we decide to again and just focus on us doing it then we can sell sponsorship we can sell ad space we can sell you know ad space um you know for um a different i don't know like a soda or maybe a protein bar a veteran owned protein bar or maybe a veteran owned um craftsmanship project right. um you know t-shirts you know whatever And uh, we can sell those sponsorship or advertising opportunities to different people to help support that show.
2: Right. I mean, I love the idea. I mean, I've always had a little bit of a fascination with military shows and whatnot. I don't know why, but it's always just resonated with me. I, well, and I also love the story. I love the human condition. I mean, that was part of why I thought Justin's idea to do this podcast was so great because I love the human condition. I love hearing people's stories and I don't know what it is about me, but in the history of my life, I'm just one of those people that people come up and tell me stuff. I don't know why, but it's kind of fun and it's, I'm the perfect person to have it happen to because I'm interested. <laughs> I want to know. I think it's really cool. I want to hear what's happening or I'm very compassionate. If someone has something hard or, you know, so it's uh, definitely of interest to me and I, those are definitely shows. I will be interested to watch and hear more about as you get there. So I'll definitely be tuning in. That's
1: awesome. Thank you.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, Jason, I want to thank you for being on the episode and taking so much time and I'd really like to continue to tell your story because it's one of the things we're going to do on this podcast. I don't want people to just come on and we we take the, you know, couple hours to just tell their story once I want to t- talk about your journey and I'd love to talk about more about the mini-series and do a whole podcast around that maybe we record in sometime end of July or August after that launches and um, and we can sort of help promote that and do that and tie this all together um, because I do I think it's that. so important I love actually what you're doing is not only use the documentary series or docuseries to tell the stories but then also use it as a platform for advertising and marketing for other veteran-owned businesses, which is, I think, is a, a really big deal, you know, and, and giving them that opportunity to do it. And uh, so I think it's really important. So thank you again so much for being so vulnerable and taking the time to be on the episode.
1: Oh, you guys were fantastic. I absolutely loved it and and loved the, the conversation. You guys are doing a great thing for a lot of people, and, and that's why you guys are successful and and i and i'd love you know listen to your story of where you just you know you you say heck i'm just going to do it <laughs> you know and you teach yourself how to do it you know and and what's really awesome is when you become successful you know when you do that you know because you you're like i went from nothing to here and that's really cool
0: yeah it's actually kind of crazy and Deborah and i were just looking at it the other day like about 3 weeks ago um prior to recording this like it was a little bit like, what's going on? And we were seeing slow growth. And then all of a sudden, we started being downloaded all over the world. I think uh, 35 countries now. We And we <laughs> we just keep going. And I'm like, well, okay, I get the United States. But you know, Ireland and Australia and India and all these places that were being re-syndicated through these podcast channels and stuff like that. It's kind of incredible. And I actually didn't even come close to realize the impact. I was just... Curious, you know, wanting to give back, like I said, and wanting to tell the story of other food entrepreneurs, the real stories like you're doing with your documentary series. But I didn't realize how much of the world was actually thirsting for the real stories or entrepreneurs out there that were wanting this same information. You know, we just recorded one in Australia and recording one from uh United Kingdom because people, there's people all over the world that are, that are, have felt alone. And like they see these, you know, reality tv shows where these people are multi-millionaires and you know and they there's a chef and he has all these different shows and all these different restaurants and why can't i get there and what am i doing wrong and but they're not alone there's plenty of people that are doing just fine opening you know having one restaurant or having three cafes you know so You're not alone and they don't know how to take the next step. So that's part of it. And I figured if I can mentor a few people, why not mentor everyone and put out stuff? Because it is educational. In my opinion, like what you shared today, Jason, there are so many pieces that people can learn from, you know, and and people at points in their life where they want to give up or people at points in their life where they're like, oh, my God, I, I just lost everything I had to declare bankruptcy. But that's not the end. That's not the end. And if it's in in my opinion, and I've talked about this on another podcast, if if it's not good, um, it's not the end, you know, because... We don't, we get a chance to really live good lives and give back and and give as humans. And there are really things that happen for us and not to us. And I I truly believe that because it's my own story. And it's taken me a long time to realize that um, because I myself had angry moments and negative moments where I was frustrated, but when I started to look at it differently and hold it differently, that's where the true success really happened. And, uh, so thank you again. And I think what you're doing is absolutely amazing. I can't emphasize it enough. And I really, really, really believe in what you're doing, both from giving back and for profiting all at the same time, because, you know, I remember being in grad school, the first day of grad school, going to get my MBA, which we can talk about degrees and whether they were valuable or not. I went to MBA and I was like, okay, I just spent two years learning everything I already knew by being an entrepreneur, but that's a whole other story and um, right. and um, but something I said in class that everyone's like you know and I really upset people in my class by talk, talking about what we just said like I don't want to go to you know another country that's having problem with water and food and just send them food like from the United States like that's great the United States is going to benefit but I want to go there like there's all this aquaponics and hydroponics going on in the world and growing food indoors why not teach them how to grow food inside? Why not invest in these hydroponics and aquaponics and help them grow food indoors and conserve water and have them make their own economies? And guess what? I do get to benefit from it way more than shipping the food is that I can invest in them, let them also be owners of their company so they have quote-unquote retirement plans because they're owners. They don't need a 401k or, or whatever else is out there. They can actually earn their retirement in that way. And and being part of the business. And we're educating them on being entrepreneurs so they can pass it on to generation to generation. And it has to be for profit. Because that's really what cycles. And what we're seeing on this show is entrepreneurs, like we pass it on. Like we pass it on to our kids. My parents passed it on to me. Deborah's parents passed it on to her. And we're seeing this thing. And that's the best way to do business. We go out and we're in our communities and we're in in our countries and, and states or wherever you are. And we're building economic benefit. And we can go help other people do that as well. And I hope there's people out in the world that are doing that. But we don't need to only invest as owners. We can go invest as what you were trying to do with the... the um, the um the smoothie bar which is let people be owners. Give back to them. Let people be involved in it and in their community so they're invested in it. So they have a tie to it emotionally so then they help promote it and they help encourage people to buy from it and they give a good image of it. And then they're also creating economies. Cause guess what? If I put a hydroponics or an aquaponics food facility somewhere, they're going to need a lawyer and they're going to need an accountant and they're going to need other businesses, people to go be entrepreneurs and start those type of businesses to support it. And so I really like what you're doing because not only are you being an entrepreneur and giving back, but you're creating this environment where these veterans can go be entrepreneurs and so I, thank that you. was, that was very long winded. I'm sorry, but I, sometimes I have trouble uh, shutting up, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's, um, it's what happens when I'm passionate about something, honestly. And, um, again, thank you so much. And, um, this is Justin, the Food Entrepreneurs podcast. If you guys like what you're hearing on this episode, please share it. Please share Tatter Beans buy coffee. Obviously, it's helping veterans. It's helping do the right thing. It's helping first responders. All the things that are important that actually make our lives better and save lives. So I think that's a great thing. Uh, share this episode so more people can hear about it and and hear the stories. And then ultimately, you know, mark it on your calendar when the docu series comes out for the uh tattered beans what was the name of it again was it tattered heroes uh tattered lives tattered lives i'm sorry so tattered lives because i think that you know we want to spread the word of this and knowledge is power in my opinion and the more knowledge we have and are educated on everyday's everyday lives the better off we are as human beings even more compassionate because like we said Reality TV makes us less compassionate about people, in my opinion, because these people have so much. How can they be this way? How can they be that way? But that's not really the way society is, and it can actually make you have a jaded feeling of society. So. You know It's really important that we watch things like that and really see the people that are living everyday lives and care. And in your case, with Tattered Lives, these are people that are involved in Tattered Beans and also being entrepreneurs and giving themselves a better lifestyle. So uh, thank you again, Jason. And thank you for being on, but thank you for what you're doing because I think it's great for society.
1: Justin and Deborah, thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great show a lot of great information that hopefully entrepreneurs will, um, uh, use certainly, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, you can DM me, uh, if you have questions, certainly reach out. I love to, to help and mentor. Um, if you have questions, um, you know, hit me up on Instagram, um, Jake Jean official and, you know, I'll help you. You know, I just want to, I love seeing people be successful.
0: Yeah, I, I, I love it too. And I think the more success we have, the better off we are. And again, um, I want to wrap this up, but please share this story because I think that it's so much to give back and and it's a great thing and a great cause. Um, this is Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs. I'm Justin Bizarro. You're welcome to DM me as well at Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs. You can also email me at Justin at thefoodentrepreneurs.com. And everyone have a great day and have a great Memorial Day week. And please, you know, honor the people that have served and given us the freedoms and lifestyle we have. Thank you guys very much and have a great day.